King Wave, Fox Beer, Locker's action, very weird. Captain Pike, Crystal's wife, Klingons, and the afterlife. Boimler, Tendy's dog, Ransom is very hot. Four Drive, Black Alert, Giorgio has gone berserk. Teacher, bad left, Edward is an idiot, Fuck is dead, Wolf is wed, Chekhov's wearing red. Tita's cat, Kim Pack's hat, you has had enough of that. Beam me up, make it so, everybody let's go. We are the proudest theory, you can join us live by picking up your phone now. We talk about the theory, we're coming to you on the streaming services now. We talk about the theory. Well, good evening, Trekkies and Trekkers around the globe. It is Thursday, May 25th, 7.30 p.m. Eastern Daylight Savings Time, which means we are live. We'll be live for the next two hours. So let your fingers do the walking and call track talking. Our phone number here is 646-668-2433. Give us a call and I'll get you right on the air. We have a great show planned for you guys tonight. Albeit it might be a strange show because I'm up at camp tonight and a car hit a telephone pole, knocked out the Internet. So I'm I'm going to be relying on Eric and Charles to take care of the show because I'm on my cell phone and I don't have access to um, any of my show notes or anything, but don't worry, guys, we're going to get through it. It will be fine. We're going to be talking about the new IDW Star Trek line. We're going to be talking about issues two, three, and four. We're going to have our Star Trek birthdays. We're going to have our fan shout-outs, and I'm going to talk a little bit about Trek Long Island and how incredibly awesome the convention was. If you're listening to this podcast right now, and you were at Trek Long Island, and you came up to the table. Karen and I handed out literally hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of cards to you guys. If you want to call me right now at 646-668-2433 and share some of your experiences at Trek Long Island, I will give you a Blu-ray copy of Strange New World Season 1 just for calling and being a fan and chatting with us. It's really easy. Give us a call, 646-668-2433. Share your thoughts on Trek Long Island, and I will give you a copy of Strange New World on Blu-ray. All right, guys. Uh, we don't have David with us tonight, and we don't have Paul with us tonight, but we're going we're gonna to forge ahead. I want to go around and introduce you guys to my awesome, awesome, awesome co-host. We'll start off first with Charles, who's out in Las Vegas. How you doing, Charles? I'm doing all right. Yeah, crazy weather, but I'm ready to do some truck talking about comics. I actually went past uh, issue four, four, and it's like, okay, got to read five and six. And I've read them before, but I got so hooked on to I was like, i got to read them again. And I realized I think I missed one somewhere. Well, and I, I've been reading... I've been reading High Ground um, for our book nook, and so, um, yeah, I've been getting involved in that. We also have with us our very own Eric, and Eric is out in Portland. How are you doing tonight, Eric? Oh, man, I am doing great tonight, guys. Uh, it is a beautiful day here in the great Northwest. We've got some great weather happening, and uh, 
missing my buddies Paul and David tonight, uh, but they both got stuff going on, which, you know what, every once in a while, life takes precedent. But I'm so excited to talk about these comics. Um, what a great new series. And Charles, I was hoping maybe by the time we get to the intro, maybe you'll remember when we reviewed issue number one. It was a little while ago, but doing two, three, and four tonight is a one shot is going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, I think we can get through it for sure. Um, I changed the, the layout of the shows just a little bit from what we usually do. Uh, we usually start off with our fan shout-outs and our birthdays, and then we move into our main topic, which usually is an episode review, or in this case, we're going to be talking about the Star Trek comics. But I decided to change it up a little bit because sometimes we run out of time and we go a little bit over so all I, we're going to start off with the fan shout-outs like we always do, but then we're going to go into our main topic so that if we go a little bit over, that's fine, and then we can go into our birthdays and we can either speed up the birthdays if we need to uh, to make extra time. So that's the only, only change that I've made to programming, and I think that's going to facilitate a smoother show for us. We won't feel quite so rushed, I hope. We'll find out tonight how it goes. So, as I said, uh, Car knocked on a telephone pole, so I don't have access to my show notes. So, I'm going to have to be leaning pretty heavily on Charles and Eric tonight. But that's fine because they're seasoned professionals, and I have no doubt in my mind that they can carry us through. So, um, Eric, uh, you guys want to launch into the fan shout outs? I absolutely do. It is time to spin that globe and find out where we end up. So I'm spinning, spinning, spinning. And our very first fan shout-out this week goes out to Hans Helmet. Hans Helmet says, Hello, I've been a Trekkie since the 70s when the Enterprise and its crew arrived in Brazil, the city where I live gave its name to one of the most powerful classes of starships in the Federation, Sao Paulo. Hans, uh, everybody knows, if you are a DS9 fan, that the Sao Paulo eventually became renamed as the Defiant when the first Defiant was destroyed. So I agree with you, brother. I love Sao Paulo as a ship, as a city. It looks amazing. I've never been there, but I can't wait to go. And uh, thank you so much for reaching out to us. Kapla to you, sir. Top fan Jan Rellum is saying hello to us from Melbourne, Australia, way down under. Jan Rellum is a top fan, and that means that she interacts with us a ton on our Facebook page. And we always appreciate fans that do that because it lets us know you care. And after all, isn't it about the interaction between people that really matters? Jan, thank you so much for saying hello to us. Live long and prosper to you. We're also saying hello this week to Helgi Helgason, who is saying hello to us from Iceland, one of those little tiny countries. I remember growing up as a kid, learning that Iceland was green and that Greenland was ice. That's crazy. Ah! <laughs> Helgi, is it true? It must be true. I can't wait to visit your beautiful country. Live long and prosper to you as well, and thank you for saying hello to us. I'm also saying hello this week to Daniel Talbeljov who is saying hello to us from Israel. That's right, Daniel, all the way from Israel, very close to the banks of the Mediterranean Sea. Thank you for saying hello to us. Charles, I'm going to pass that, uh, that shout-out megaphone over to you. Who do you want to say hi to? Well, let's start off with Deborah Lee Hall. I became a Trekkie in Minnesota 
fell in love with the franchise again in Voyager in California. Then I loved the reboot in Arizona and truly enjoy Picard and discovering Illinois Indiana. Oh, you've been traveling around but keeping up with Star Trek. Thanks for being a fan. Leanne Murray. Hi, from Sydney, Australia. Ah, one of our prices from down under. We're still trying to find that guy. Somebody has to know the guy. Yes, the guy. I talked about the guy. I I talked about the guy at Trek Long Island. Um, His name name is the dude. His name is the dude. The dude. (laughs) The dude. I said one of the best podcasts we ever did is when, when, when you guys call us. And we had a dude call from Australia one time. And we always joke about the dude, and we want him to call back so we know his name. And I said, that was one of the best podcasts I ever did because I talked to a dude from down under for real. Love it. That was an awesome show. And if you're listening, Mr. Dude, please reach out to us on our Facebook page or through trucktalking.com and say, Uncle Jim, I'm the dude, so that we can put a name to the voice, please. That would be awesome because you're legendary. Okay, hot fan, Phyllis Cradell from Phoenix, Arizona. Wow, hello down south. How's the heat? Top fan, Kim Moose from Kirkland, Washington State. Ah, up above Eric. I'm not exactly positive where Kirkland is. I have to look the map sometime. On to Billy Register in North Carolina. Welcome, Billy. I got some family around the Carolinas. Carlos Alberta. Yeah. Lugo Lopez from Mexico City. I've actually spent a little time in Mexico City. Very interesting city. Selma Lopez, Selma Lopez Guillermo from... Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. Ah, Brazil. And, boy, Jim gave Jim Davis an interesting one. Jeremiah. I think it's like, yeah, it's like Jeremiah, but with a Y. So, Jeremiah. Jeremiah Hard. Hard, Hard. yeah. From Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Boy. Thank you, Jim. You gave me some that I think you meant to give Paul. <laughs> oh, Eric, who was on Paul's list? Well, uh, speaking for Paul this week, I'd like to give a big fan shout-out to Rob Gamblin. Rob Gamblin is saying hello from Snowy White Lake in British Columbia, heart of the Shoe Swap. The Shoe Swap is a indigenous peoples from up there in British Columbia. He says, live long and prosper. And Rob, uh, I Googled what it looks like around where you are from, and it looks like heaven to me, sir. I may be visiting you before too long because snowy White Lake, B.C. is not that far north of me. Thanks for saying hello to us, and thanks for uh, alerting me to this beautiful part of uh, North America. Hello also this week to Lisa Marie Graves Kuhn, who's saying hello to us from Halifax, Nova Scotia, another Canadian. Thank you so much, Lisa Marie, for saying hello to us. I have never been to Nova Scotia, but uh, the weather appeals to me. I kind of have that uh, 
that sort of like damp uh, thing going on in my bones and in my ancestry. So can't wait to visit Halifax one of these days. Thank you so much for saying hello to us. Also wanted to say hello this week to top fan Rob Rose Round, who's saying hello to us from Blackpool in Northwest England. Speaking of damp and rainy weather and where my people are from, Rob, I would love to come out and visit you as well. And thank you so much for being a top fan that really means a lot to us that you uh, are always commenting on posts, liking things, doing all that kind of stuff. Because honestly, Jim puts a lot of work into that Facebook page, and it's always nice when fans respond. Thank you so much. And we're also saying hello this week to Guy Had from The Corbett. Have fun trying to find it. <laughs> and then it says G-O-T, which I'm guessing is Game of Thrones, maybe? Gee, you have perplexed me. I feel like I need to get uh, on the internet after this podcast and try and figure out where y'all are from. But wherever y'all are from, thank you so much for carrying our torch while you have been there. Bill Mann is another person I'd like to say hello to. Bill Mann is from Bangor, Maine. And I will tell you that Maine is one of my favorite states I've ever been to. I used to live out there in Boston, and traveling north to Maine in the fall is one of the absolute most beautiful, breathtaking things you can do. The colors are amazing. Bill, you live in a great part of the country. Thank you so much for saying hello to us. Also saying hello to Mike Albright. Talk about places in the United States that are amazing. Mike, you're from Alaska. I've only been to Alaska on cruises. I'll tell you that that is a great way to see that state and the majesty of those mountains and icebergs and inlets and bears and eagles and ah, everything. Alaska is the place to be. Don't want to be there in the winter, though, brother. I applaud you. <laughs> you got some harsh weather up there in the winter. Mike Albright, thank you so much for saying hello to us from way up north. Also saying hello to Sean Thomas, who's saying hello to us from Kilmarnock, Virginia. Sean Thomas saying hello from Virginia. Thank you so much for uh, supporting us up there in the kind of North Atlantic area. And finally, uh, my last fan shout-out this week goes out to April Insatiable, who says she's from Seattle, Washington, just three hours north of me. April, I am often in Seattle, coming out there, I believe, in September to see the Red Sox play uh, those Mariners, because uh, we always try and come up when my team comes to town. Thank you so much for saying hello to us and for supporting the podcast on our Facebook page. And that, you guys is it for our fan shout-outs. We have so many fans that support us. It's, like, really overwhelming sometimes. Lots of fan shout-outs. You guys can be mentioned in a fan shout-out by going to our Facebook page. And uh, and you can get there. Eric, how's the easiest way for fans to get to our Facebook page? Well, sometimes Facebook is hard to remember, so I just remember the name of the podcast, which is Trek Talking. And if you just go to trektalking.com, our entire world and set of links will be revealed to you, whether it's sending recordings to us via the microphone tool, whether it's finding old podcasts, whether it's linking to our Facebook page, you do it all at trucktalking.com. That's right. And once you go there and you find your way to our Facebook page, you'll see a pin post at the top. And all you need to do is tell us where you're listening from and look for a heart next to your name from yours truly, Uncle Jim. And if you see that, you are going to be immortalized in a future fan shout-out so everybody around the globe not only knows that you're a Trek talking fan, but you're a Star Trek fan. So go over there and make that happen. And uh, since I don't have my notes in front of me, how many followers do we have currently 
on our Facebook page, Eric. Oh, my gosh. We have so many followers. We have uh, 142,000 followers on our Facebook page, and our podcast has been downloaded almost 125,000 times. It's really, really overwhelming how supported we are. And and, uh, I wanted to mention that. I want to talk a little bit about Trek Long Island. I got to meet – I got to meet – I'm gonna I'm gonna butcher the name, but I, I don't have. I believe that her name was Captain Star Eagle. This was the girl that we raised over ten thousand dollars for through selling the autograph patches. And by the way, Eric, they loved your commercial and they gave it a shout out at the convention when uh, she went up on stage. And uh, she's gonna be going to space camp. And she's going to be uh, applying to NASA, uh, and and she hopes to be on the Mars, uh, the first person to go to Mars. And actually, um, Edwin is going to try to get her to come on the podcast to talk with us about actual space training and what goes into it. So. Oh, you guys. Oh, my God. If we got her on the podcast, I would just flip my lid. I mean, so if you do not know who she is, Captain Star Eagle, um, there's a great article on military.com, Space Force swears in first female Native American intel officer. You should read that article just to kind of learn who she is. She, uh, they called her up on stage, and she was in tears. She was uh, sincere. She was awesome, and the crowd gave her the biggest round of applause ever and uh she said she'll definitely be back and keep everybody informed on on what it's like and so edwin has talked to her and is going to try to get her on this podcast if she can work us into her schedule so and they were so appreciated they they said that that they broke a record with selling patches eric Thank you to your commercial that we were playing. So that's incredible. When, when, when fans can help fans like that, it's special. So, um, yeah, I wish you guys could have been there to to feel the love. And uh, Mm -hmm. I just got to say, I've won a lot of Star Trek conventions. I've been to a lot, but Trek Long Island Karen and I ran into Edwin and Rachel at Super Mega Fest standing online. Never met them. Started talking. I said, hey, I do a podcast. I can help you guys get the word out. And, and that's literally how it happened. And even though I, I wasn't, you know, I never met Edwin and Rachel or Stephanie. I've had them on the podcast. We really spent a lot of time promoting Trek Long Island on our Facebook page and on this podcast that I really felt like I was part of the Trek Long Island family uh, when we got down there. It, uh, I, I can't tell you guys the, the, the feeling of family that was going on at that convention. It was, when I say Star Trek fans are the best fans at the end of this podcast, that's why. Uh-huh. It was, I, I got to meet a whole bunch of other great podcasters, um, Roy's Tie Dye Sci-Fi Corner, uh, the Sci-Fi Sisters, uh, the Big Sci-Fi Show. They were all great, and we 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 hung around and shared Star Trek stories, and and we did a panel together of podcasting. And when the when the weekend was over and everybody was tearing down their tables, we were all hugging each other and saying we can't wait to come back next year. Um, it was that 
good. I'm telling you. Um, I did a panel on Star Trek V, The Final Frontier, that was sold out, filled to the brim. I did another one on Michael Burnham, the modern Starfleet captain that even my wife participated in. And I don't know. No, I'm not sure. I, I'm, 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 I'm doing a podcast right now. And this is live, <laughs> so you get to hear me talking to my wife. <laughs> and uh, a, a lot of the other podcasters were doing podcasts live from the convention. Um, we, we didn't do a one live from the convention. And the reason why we didn't do one live from the convention is because we do one live every week, like you just heard. When my wife comes in and asks me how you adjust the, the size of the TV screen, you're all going to hear it. Um, there's no editing on, on this podcast. What you hear is what you hear. Uh, like if my dog barks or Charles's cat meows or something, you will hear it. There's no editing. So um, I don't really feel the need to have to do a live podcast at a convention because we're live every week. But next year at Trek Long Island, I might pull out the microphones and do a live Star Trek Five panel or, or, you know, whatever. If I can get the time to work out with my co-host, we'll see what we can do. But I, we might. But at any rate, uh, Doug Jones is an absolute doll. If you ever get a chance to meet him, you've got to meet him. Uh, he's a hugger. He hugs everybody. Mm. He's awesome. the sweetest, what most I hear. sincere person. And I swear to God, he's Mr. Saru. I swear to mm. God, he is. <laughs> I just what you what you see of Saru the the, the 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 tender eyes the the whole Doug Jones is Saru I, I can't put it any other way I mean I I was blown away by the sincerity of, of, of that about him he is just phenomenal and we are so lucky to have him in our Star Trek family David Ajala who plays Booker. Uh, same thing. He was just walking around the convention. It happened to be his birthday, oh. and uh, everybody sang happy birthday to him at the convention. And he he was shaking people's hands and hugging people and taking selfies with everybody uh, in honor wow. of his birthday. Awesome. Uh, Soji and Elnor were also there, and uh, I knew they were young, but when I saw them, they're younger than my daughter. And... Um, <laughs> I don't, so, like, does that mean I'm really old? I don't know. Yes, but, Jim, um, yes. <laughs> they were just walking around, and I was dressed up as a Klingon, and Elnor gave me the old kapla, and uh, everybody was so accessible. I, I just, it, it was phenomenal, an experience like I've never had before, and uh just like I, we we did the podcast panel and ever all the podcasters were were going on about their thing and I was at the end and I'm like, well, how do I follow that up? Mm-hmm. Uh, what, you guys pretty much touched on everything, but then I said, you know what I will say? I'm going to tell you guys a story about a white guy from Rutland who, when he found out that they were going to have binary characters on Star Trek, I immediately thought, what did I think, Eric? Um, well, you were thinking of the binars from uh, the binars. I said, I said, this is great. They're bringing the binars back from from TNG. (laughs) This is awesome. 
And everybody started laughing, and they said, well, that's an honest answer. And I said, yes, and that is what Star Trek is about. Star Trek is there to open our eyes to things we normally would know about and, and, and let us experience them and see these people as people. And that's, that's what it's all about. And uh, I just can't stand it. Edwin, also I talked to Vadia Palenza, who played Mr. Spock in Star Trek Three: to Search for Spock, um, the one that did the Ponfar with Robin Curtis. Mm-hmm. Great guy. Never been to a Star Trek convention. Completely floored oh. by the love that he was getting from oh, fans. Cool. He was in a movie. Oh, that's great. Mm-hmm. Way, that's awesome. Way back in 1983, he was wow. there with his wife and his two kids, and he couldn't believe it. And I wow. said, well, you know, welcome to the family, and now you're in it for good. Yeah. And I talked to him for about 20 minutes. Uh, he's going to come on this podcast and talk with us for sure um, sometime in June. I'm working on getting Robin Curtis to come on with him. I'll see how that. I've been trying to get Robin for a while, but I uh, get the two of them back together on the podcast. So um, we'll see how that goes. But he was incredibly awesome as well. Um, Edwin, when we first got there, Edwin brought Karen and I right over and introduced us to uh, the uh, Dolman of Troyes and Marla Moreau right first thing in the morning. And, of course, Karen didn't know quite who they were, but I did. (laughs) And uh, we got to to, uh, hang out with them and talk with them for a couple minutes before the show, which was really cool. And I learned something that my old mind never never knew, but Marla Moreau was Hawkwoman on Buck Rogers. I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I didn't know that either. you You learn something new every day. I got to meet Sandy Gimple in person which yeah. was really special because we've had her on the yeah. podcast so many times. Um, and it was just uh, – I'll, I'll talk more. I don't want to take up too much time, but well, I'm Jim, so I just excited. Need to know, I just need to know one thing. Did you at least from afar get to take in the majesty of Oded Fair, the silver fox himself? I went up to the autograph room because um, we, we were at the table and it was only Karen and I, so we, we had to, like, alternate. And so Karen went up to meet Soji, and then I went up, and I was going to go over and see Oded, but the line for Oded was like, I mean, as long as Doug Jones. Mm-hmm. So um, I went over and met Elnor, and I was just kind of standing, because his, his, Elnor's table was across from his. So I, I was like 10 feet away from him. Mm-hmm. And um, so I just kind of stood there and took in the majesty and listened to some stories <laughs> and um, I didn't actually get to meet him, but I did bump into him in the hallway. Um, so that, that was cool. So he, you know, and Karen didn't know who he was, and I said, "That's Admiral Vance, the cool mm-hmm. Admiral." Mm-hmm. <laughs> An so, Admiral that thus far has not done anything out of out of line. <laughs> no, and I got to tell you guys, the the love for discovery. Um, I know on Facebook and social media, you you don't. You, you, all you hear is squeaky wheels and negativity, and thank God they they canceled it and all this other hubbub. But I'm going to tell you, at the Doug Jones and David Ajala uh, Q and A, the the place was packed, and the cheers and 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 the love from the crowd was just just. Karen came in and sat in on that panel to watch them. It was that phenomenal. People just love these two characters, wow. and. 
discovery in general, and we're genuinely, you know, perplexed and upset as to why, you know, uh, has been ended. And I found out another reason why it had ended. Not so much, and this this one might surprise you, you guys, when you hear this, but they only signed the actors to a five-year contract. Mm-hmm. And so they would yeah. have had to renegotiate all the salaries again, and they were concerned. They just didn't want to get into that negotiation because they, they felt that the salaries would have been too high for them to produce it. So they decided rather than negotiating – they would have to end it. But there was one character they did have to negotiate with, and that was Cleveland Booker, because he wasn't supposed to be in the fifth season. He was supposed to leave at the end of the fourth when he was convicted of of, uh, mutiny and stuff. Mm -hmm. He was supposed to be off the show and gone, so they only signed him. When they decided to rewrite the ending of season five, they had to renegotiate his contract to get him back for another season. So... Mm. I mean, I think something similar didn't something similar happen with TNG except they were able to extend it like I don't think everybody's contracts were for seven seasons there was definitely some extensions along the way if I remember right well that definitely happened with Jadzia Dax and Terry Harrell yeah they just wrote her right out and replaced her but the love for Discovery is there, and the fans just, at least down in Long Island, love Discovery, like No Tomorrow. And the Picard panel, a lot of people were were um, upset that they wrote Elnor out. He wasn't even there, and they were mm-hmm. they were under the impression that he died when they blew up the Excelsior. Mm-hmm. And I even asked him that, too, when I bumped into him in the hallway. And mm-hmm. uh, he told me the same thing that Terry Metallus said on Twitter that he wasn't on the Excelsior at the time that it exploded. Yeah. And I said, okay, good. So you can come back on Legacy. I mean, you need to I get- mean that's good. It, that's good, but it is one of those things, like Paul said last week, where when the show runners and actors have to explain to you what happened because the show doesn't tell you enough, there, there's maybe a little gap in the writing there. But, yeah, it's good to know that uh, Elnora could possibly come back because I think Evan Evagora was amazing in that role. Oh, he, and he is, the, he is yes. the nicest guy in the world to meet. And he was standing there talking with me and just chatting about Klingons. And, and, and I mean, he was so, so cool. Um, I, it just, I was impressed by every aspect of the convention. Rachel and Stephanie and Edwin did a phenomenal job putting it all together. Um, and I am so looking forward to next year. And, and we're going to talk more. I've got some other surprises um, up my sleeve for the podcast, guys, so don't worry. But, um, we got Vadia, we got Star Eagle, and I've got some other things in the works. So we'll, we'll let you guys know about that as they come along. But next week is Uncle Jim's birthday bash. And Laura Banks is going to be on the podcast to talk about the wrath of blonde, the making of Star Trek two. So you guys want to tune in for that. And the following week, we're going to have Chris Naylor on, who was the stunt double for Liam Shaw, Captain Liam Shaw, and Jonathan Wright and, and uh, Riker on Riker. Jonathan um, Riker, played by William Freeman. Jonathan Riker. 
I was thinking Jonathan Frakes <laughs> and Jonathan Riker came out. Uh, so he is a super Star Trek fan, and he's going to be on with us next week. And then we're going to be doing Book Nook. We're going to be talking about High Ground, Star Trek Strange New Worlds novel. And then the following week, we'll be diving into Strange New World episode review. So that's what we have in mind in store for you guys. And I don't want to say too much more about Trek Long Island because I'm going to have Edwin and Rachel on to talk about their experiences and what it was like for them. And I'll get more in depth into Star Star Trek Long Island at that time. But I'm so excited about it. I just, I could not talk about it because it was such an experience. It was, it was like a religious experience. I mean, it I saw amazing. Tendi there. Yeah. Um, oh, sweet. <laughs> yeah, Tendi yeah. was there. And boy, <laughs> I mean, nice. Tendi was incredible. I was like, wow, she is green. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, not talking o- <laughs> I'm not talking Orion green. I'm talking like Crayola crayon green. She was green. Um I had to stop and talk to Tendi. I was very impressed at the green of Tendi. I see. Um, She was great. (laughs) Um, Lots and lots of white Discovery uniforms, medical uniforms running around. Um, There was this really cool thing on. That is the best looking uniform. That white Discovery uniform is so amazing. Which is which is very very similar to the one that Chapel wears on Strange New World as well. Yep. So I, I like, kind of like that continuity. Um, so yeah, there was a there was a Captain Kirk covered in Tribble from the Trouble with Tribbles episode. Um, I didn't see any Borg, but um, I did see a lot of Discovery costumes running. Around. I saw Una, number one from Strange New World, was running around. Um, I, I was I was running around too. I had a lot of panels and a lot of things going on, so. I was really, really busy myself. Um, I usually don't stay until Sunday because we got to get the dog out of the hotel and we got to get home, but we stayed the extra day for the closing ceremonies, and I'm glad that we did because Edwin gave us a special uh, shout-out when Star Eagle came on stage for all the work we did to raise over $10,000, guys. Did you hear me? $10,000 on patches, and that's, that's it's not all us, but we were part of that. We helped to make that dream a reality, you know, that, that is incredible. Uh, You know, that just, that just makes my eyes well up when I think that we were part Mm -hmm. of that. Totally. And all, all of the Star Trek community that was there, this convention felt like it belonged to all of us because we all worked on it. All of the other podcasters, we all did our share to make this happen. And it was, it was that that good. Um, oh yeah, this guy from Australia, not the dude who makes batlets and necklaces, real ones out of steel with blades that you can decapitate someone with, but only on Wednesdays. Um, <laughs> Stephanie put a picture of a batlet up on the Trek Long Island page for the General Martok panel, and this guy re- emails her and says, "Excuse me, that's the batlet from my website." Blah blah blah. Stephanie got to talking to the guy, and he sent her three, three bat lifts and a mech lift. And what, one of the bat lifts was raffled off at the Martok panel, and we got $1,050 for the bat lift. And 
one, the, the money went to uh, Library of Kindness. The guy also threw in a, a Mechleth as well. And General Martok, or J.G. Herzl, signed them both to the winner. They also gave a Batleth to J.G. Herzler himself and presented him with a Batleth, a real one, on stage. And Stephanie kept one to hang on her wall at her house. So it was awesome. Absolutely awesome. So I think I've taken up enough time, guys, because um, I could keep talking about Trek Long Island. It was that good. Star Trek Five panel, oh, my God. I didn't realize how many people actually enjoyed Star Trek Five like I did. It was mind-boggling. I thought I was, like, the only one in the corner that, that actually enjoyed that movie, but I wasn't. I'm not alone anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyways, why don't we dive in? I, I, like I said, I don't have access to the comic books because I have no Wi-Fi for my Kindle and I didn't download them on my Kindle like Charles did, so I can't look at them. So I'm going to have to count on you guys to take over from here um, while we talk about the comics. So I don't know who wants to go first or what, but i got to leave that up to you guys. So take it away with issue number two of IDW's new Star Trek line comics. Uh, I think it's just called Star Trek, right? It's just called yep. Star Trek. Yep. And, uh, yeah, I think I can set it up. Uh, you know, way back in November, uh, our podcast actually reviewed issue number one of this. It was our November 7th, 2022 podcast. Thanks, Charles, for finding that. And back then, uh, you may or may not remember that this series starts out with uh, the return of Benjamin Sisko. Um, the first let go. Uh, excuse me? The Cisco, the yes, Cisco. the Cisco, that's right, <laughs> the return of the Cisco, and it's really cool because in that issue, he returns, and, you know, it's it's kind of, there are a lot of people around him that are a little bit suspicious of the fact that he's come back, but he does have some very cool interactions with Jake, um, Jean-Luc Picard is actually in that issue, and he sort of assembles his crew, uh, and and grabs a ship. Um, the ship is an experimental ship called the USS Theseus, and at the start of issue number two, we don't know, all we know is that it's experimental. We don't really know what it does. Um, we get a little schematic in that first issue that sort of calls out a few things, but we don't really know what it's capable of. Uh, and the crew that he assembles, uh, thanks to Jean-Luc Picard, includes his first officer, Mr. Data, um, and when he gets to the Theseus, he discovers that his uh, chief engineer is Scotty. So Scotty's on this ship. And then uh, when he gets onto the bridge, he discovers that Mr. Tom Paris is there as well of, as a couple of new characters. Uh, we have a Vulcan, uh, who I believe is named Talir, if I remember right. And then there is an Andorian. And we also have our chief medical officer, Beverly Crusher, um, rounding out the crew. So... At the end of that kind of first issue, we have we have learned that the Cisco has returned because the prophets have sent him back because there is some sort of threat to the universe that um, you know is threatening the godlike creatures that are out there. And at the very end of the first issue, we get destruction of the crystalline entities like a whole bunch of them like they call it a genocide i don't know if it's every single one of them or not but it it feels like it was a pretty cataclysmic thing and uh 
we don't really know who did it. All we know is that uh, the prophets have sent Cisco to kind of solve the mystery. Um, and so that's where we start. So uh, at the start of issue number two, we have, of course, the same writing team. Colin Kelly and Jackson Lansing uh, are in charge of writing the entire series. Uh, at the beginning of issue number two, we actually do have a different artist. Uh, in issue number one, it was Ramon Rosanas, who is also our artist for issues number three and four. But in issue number two, we have Oleg Chudakov instead. Um, not an artist with which I'm familiar, but uh, works pretty good. We'll talk about that. Uh, we have the same colorist and the same letters going through. No, it's not Neil Utaki. It's Clayton Cowles doing the lettering on these instead. But Neil Utaki is involved in design and production on the series. So, of course, you're going to see his name in there. It is IW after all. Uh, at the start of issue number two, as we said, we have the destruction of the crystalline entities from the last issue. And uh, the Cisco <laughs> has taken the gang where... Back to Kronos. Um, he, he was told that he needed to go there. He went there. And when he gets there, he meets, uh, he meets good old Worf. And the really cool thing that I love about these books is they give you these kind of uh, pages interspersed that provide a bunch of information. In the first issue, you got information, for example, on the USS Theseus, um, kind of like a, almost like a tactical display of what was going on so that you could sort of read up on the ship. In this one, you get your, your L cars, your black and white L cars display that gives you a little bit of information on the Klingon Empire. And this is a good reminder because uh, it's totally this big pyramid, right? You got the Emperor at the top, and you will remember, of course, from Deep Space Nine that the Emperor at this point is the clone, Kalos II. Underneath that, you have Chancellor Martok, Mr. J.G. Hertzler himself. <laughs> Underneath that, you have uh, the High Council. There are 24 great houses, as we know, so there are therefore 20 seats, 24 seats on the council. And then you have the Federation Ambassador underneath that, who is Worf's son of Moab, in the house of Martok. And it's cool because when you kind of, you know, when they first, when Cisco and the gang first show up at the planet, it's like, hello, Worf, nice to see you. Uh, let's go meet somebody, and who do they go meet but Kalis, the Unforgettable himself. And Cisco does a thing where he says, you know what, uh, Kalis, there's a bunch of crazy stuff going on out here. Um, there are people with godlike weapons that are killing godlike creatures. We could use some help. And effectively in this issue, Kalis says no. <laughs> he says no, uh, I'm not going to help you. Um, and he doesn't really give a reason. Um, and it just sort of goes forward from there. Um, we do, however, then, as we, the story kind of moves along, learn about this um, secret planet, I guess, within the Klingon Empire called Sarkadesh. And we know that deep within the Klingon Empire, this planet supposedly has some... Uh, some important things going on, uh, some engineers, some kind of almost godlike engineers who can build really incredible things. And uh, Cisco is sensing the connection between that and kind of the happenings that are going on uh, with the destruction of the crystalline entities. And so they go to Sarkadesh and they meet these entities. And the entities are not so welcoming at first 
And I think it's kind of cool. I don't want to just give it away, but I think it's kind of cool how the team sort of works their way out of it. We, we once again, just like uh, any good Star Trek episode, we get kind of the A and B story. You get the, the down on the planet A story is Cisco and Data and Beverly Crusher and the Andorian character whose name I cannot remember. Um, interacting with the new aliens. And then uh, Worf was actually left in charge of the USS Theseus up above. And so Worf has taken the heat because there's a bunch of Klingons out there that are shooting at him. And the other team is down on the planet taking heat from the aliens. And essentially, and, and then there's like all this time flux stuff that's happening because there's chronotons and blah, 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 blah. And Scotty's talking about <laughs> how crazy it all is. And uh, they do some shenanigans engineering-wise on the USS Theseus and essentially kind of make a connection with these aliens. And Data, inevitably, is the one who says, listen, aliens, I know that you think humans are minor to you, that they are way below you. But look at me. You are all engineers. I am the, an absolute marvel of engineering, probably top 2% in intelligence in the entire galaxy, and, uh, and humans created me. So what does that say about the capabilities of humans? And as a result, um, the Sarkadesh aliens are kind of, you know, they stop their hostilities, and they kind of fall in line, um, and Cisco, uh, you know, gets the information that he needs from the planet, and then at the end of the issue, they're kind of off to the next uh, layer of the adventure. Of the adventure, so I, I personally thought this was a great issue. Um, you know, when we first reviewed that first issue, I think, and Jim, I'd love you to talk about this when we get to you, but um, I think you were especially a little skeptical about the return of Cisco. Um, you know, it's it's kind of it's kind of weird to bring back this character who was put away you know it's like it's like bringing uh well any any character who died i guess or not necessarily died but just went to a different place back um but i think it's kind of cool because we've got this connection with the prophets and the prophets are scared and that is why they have sicked cisco on the on the problem and i think the writing in these books is good enough that when i read cisco's reactions to things and the ways that he's going to um to do things i'm reading it in cisco's voice and i'm understanding i there's one moment i can't remember if it's in this issue or a, a different issue where he says to Worf, he's like um you know we won't be the first ones to shoot but we'll be the last ones like that is a Cisco line right there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so I'm I'm impressed with the with the writing, um, with the voice. I'm finding the story in this uh, second issue pretty interesting. Um, it's kind of a motley crew that they've brought together with you know having Scotty and and all these other people on the same team. But I don't know, it's working for me. Um, and I certainly liked the art in this one a little bit different. Like I said, this is Oleg Chudakov. Um, the likenesses were pretty good. You know, you knew which character you were talking about. I don't think they were um, – I think Cisco in particular was drawn very well. Then some of the other characters were like, well, that doesn't exactly look like Data or Beverly Crusher. Beverly Crusher in particular I think you had a little bit of a hard time with. But Cisco looks looks really good. So good art, good story. That's my – opinion uh charles what do you think 
Okay. Well, one thing you didn't mention was the fact that when they talk to Caleb, mm-hmm. all of a sudden we look at the text and it's like, oh, all the text is in black and white. All of a sudden that black turns red. And you see one little thing, if you carefully look at the bottom, it says, translated from Klingon. And you see the fact that he sits there and speaks in Klingon to this whole speech until he says no. But also interesting that Lily turns around and starts speaking in Klingon. We have an Andorian who speaks Klingon. I, I gather that she's kind of like the Uhura of the ship, right? Yeah. Yeah. But you get that. You see the gruffness of Kalis. He's always strong, especially the close-ups, just the real gruffness of him, which you think of a Klingon. And how Cisco has to talk to Worf and convince Worf to come help them. We start learning about what the why the thesis is is such a unique ship as to some of the shenanigans Scotty has to do to protect the ship. Yeah, and Charles, can I and, can I just can I just mention just real quick because you mentioned the Theseus? Um, I think we mentioned this when we reviewed the first issue, but I found the name of this ship fascinating because you'll remember that the Greek myth of the USS Theseus, there's like a a philosophical kind of uh, conundrum that people can can wrestle over, which is, let's say that you have a ship and that the ship, as it's used over time, has one board replaced at a time. And uh, eventually, somewhere in the ship's life, you've replaced every single board the question is, is that still the same ship? Because every single board is different from the ship that started. And so there's this kind of – remember when they did the uh, Year 5 comics, there was a real kind of like philosophical and Greek-inspired overtone to some of the stories. And I feel like they did the same thing by bringing a ship named the USS Theseus into it and the fact that they're going to the Hephaestus Nebula as well. Yes. Well, plus, I won't say, but plus we end the last page with that mysterious object that helps some kind of clue in to who they're, who they're dealing with. Not exactly who, but who's involved. But it really, really just... But it just Very gets you going. It's like, yes, it just... The story really hooks you once. One gets you started. Two gets you hooked. Two grabs you, grabs, grabs its claws out, stretches out you, pulls you in, said, you're going you're gonna to enjoy this. And, it's like, and you're going to want to read more. And it's like, yes, I do want to read more. Because once you get started on one issue, you want to move on to the next. You want to find out what happens. Well, I gotta say, I love Klingons, obviously, right? I mean, that's my thing. I do, yeah. <laughs> um, I, you know, I to find out 
And I, I understand this is canon adjacent and not, you know, actual canon, but it's the closest mm. thing we have to find out what happened to Worf when he left Deep Space Nine with Martok. Uh, and to find out where he is and what he's doing is, is cool. I, I'm enjoying that. And to find out that Worf isn't really enjoying all the paperwork of being a diplomat. Um, that, well, that doesn't surprise me either because, you know, beheadings are on Wednesdays, you know. So to see him, you know, as a politician doing paperwork and dealing with the council and doing press releases for Martok and stuff like that was cool, you know, to, to see what's going on with him. Um, I like that. That was interesting. And uh, they were at this location called the Three Bridges, which I believe we saw in another comic book, didn't we? That exact same location was it? Yeah, we. Um, the, we. Yeah, I think we saw it in the uh, in that Klingon comic from the Discovery era, right? Yeah, and I thought it was so cool that they went back to that exact same location. Light of Kalos. Yeah. Light of Kalos. I was going to say, I thought that was great. Yeah. That was cool. I enjoyed that. Um, but 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 I'm not I'm not a fan of this of this. Uh, I'm just not feeling it. Um, I'm just not feeling Cisco and Data and Crusher and Scotty and Tom Paris. Um, I'm just not feeling them. I'm not enjoying them together at all. They they feel out of place and mismatched to me. Um, so I'm not really digging that, uh, but I, I, I do, I do really like the Andorian, uh, I guess she's communications officer. I'm assuming because Lily. she speaks Klingon. So I think she's a communications officer. Um, I don't know that for sure. Does anyone know what, was she the communications yeah, she officer? Yeah, yeah. Okay. she is. So we believe I'm so. really liking her. And the Vulcan, I, I really like Kalar. Um, and, of course, yeah. they threw Jake Sisko in there as well. We forgot to mention uh, he's in there as well. Um, but overall, um, I'm not really uh, feeling the story. I'm not really um, – I mean, the crystalline entity thing was interesting. Well, I was going to say, Jim, don't give your overall impression. We still got two issues to go, buddy. <laughs> well, no, the the crystalline entities was was the last issue, right? Was issue one, yeah. Yeah, yeah. The crystalline entities thing was pretty cool, um, and the the three bridges thing with Kales and the Klingons was really cool. Um, yeah. That that's my I I agree. Crusher, the artwork isn't really as spot on as it has been in other IDW books. I don't feel, but although the Klingons look great, but Klingons are always cool. Um, Kalef looks good when he's sitting up on his chair, and like Eric uh, Charles is right when he he doesn't speak to them in English. He speaks to them in Klingon until he he says. Something like let me let me say this in a language you deserve, and he says no in English, kind of like Captain Shaw did to Picard and Riker um, on Picard season three. So yeah, I, I yeah, I'm kind of on the fence about this so far. I'll and I'll leave it at that. All right, right on. 
Well, let us go ahead and move on then to issue number three. So that was issue number two. At the end of issue number two, the story, uh, as we were just saying, that we're left with is that, um, you know, we've got a clue as to maybe what's going on. We've got a, a Klingon, is it a Mechleth, the knife here, that uh, is a clue. We've left the Sarkadash aliens behind, and in issue number three, um, we open up on a different scene. We have the same writing team, and we return to our original artist, as I was saying, uh, Ramon Rosanas, who does just two pages, but then we have a different artist, Joe Eisma, who does pages 20 through 21. And Charles, uh, I think one of my new favorite characters in this series is definitely the Vulcan Talir. Do you want to talk about this one? Oh, definitely. I want to talk about this one. We get an interesting, well, first thing I want to do is always look just inside the front cover because I love the reviews they put across each each issue. As it's, across the galaxy, godlike aliens are being destroyed. Starfleet Captain Benjamin Sisko, emissary to the godlike Bajoran prophets, has assembled a crew of legends to discover this murder and stop them. Recent evidence had revealed that the group of rogue Klingons may be responsible, but the trail has gone cold, and Cisco has been charged by his time among the gods. How can he hope to understand this horrible crime if he first cannot understand himself? So we get to the first page, and... Trying to figure out how to pronounce that uh, Vulcan name, Talir. Yeah, it's Talir. Yep, Talir. And I love him. Kind of talk. He's trying to coax himself to who he is. It's like I am Talir, a Vulcan of Starfleet. Greetings, I am Talir, a Vulcan of Starfleet. He's looking like he's trying to convince himself. And we get a little bit of Elkar on his history, which means he's got an interesting history in there. Then we have Cisco and Dr. Crusher having a session, kind of hoping for peace, but Beverly kind of wants to get help him deal with the changes he's gone, had to go through. And so they kind of have to discuss that. As Jake's in the biz, Jake's busy in the kitchen with Talir. And Jake's doing a uh, gumbo. And he talks about how it's created. It's not something you just replicate because you got to get things just right. And Talir, as they're discussing things, he feels something. And he decides to contact the bridge. And he gets nothing. (laughs) Cisco realizes something is going on, decides to call the bridge. And the computer at Bayer's response is, bridge? What's a bridge? And we kind of see something going on with 
part of the crew being dealing with some kind of strange issue. And then we start getting into some interesting interesting way that they uh, you're getting you're getting thought bubbles. But instead of thought bubbles, these are these are rectangle. And the left edge, they give you an idea of who's talking. They'll do a red, you'll see a black with the hash marks and a red triangle underneath. And realize, okay, that's Cisco that's talking. And then other, we're not sure exactly who the white one is. But you kind of get the conversation, you kind of get thought bubble with actually seeing the characters themselves. Interesting way of communicating. Giving it is I think communicating I think the, the reader. One, I think the white one is Crusher because she was the only one wearing a white uniform. I think, if I remember correctly. I don't have the book in front Could of me, be. but I think it was Crusher. But we kind of see um, Cisco going. Yeah, we see Cisco going through a bit of a change. And kind of digging into his emissary to realizing who could be causing this and reaches his hand out. Q. And we get Nell Carr talking about Q and a good reference to all the many of the different uh, each series and how many episodes he was in. Well, that's and the of best course, part, Charles. <laughs> that's the best part. Then, Charles. of course, Cisco. Yeah. Cisco's yeah. got to be Cisco. How do you deal with Q? You punch him. So, Q decides to take a different approach and appear more like the prophets do, as the prophets. And we get a chance to see Scotty. And just the effect you see on that panel realizes you can tell there's a big issue, there's a big problem. And the warp course turning into a singularity could go into destruction. And, of course, Q's like, did I do that? Kind of thinking of a character from the 80s that might say something like that. Yeah. But we have a nice discussion with Q and Cisco. They really get some conversation in there. Uh, Scotty's trying to deal with it. He realizes, okay. He needs some help. There's the one person that probably can help him clear. And Talir's like, okay, go get to engineering. And Talir looks at Jake and it's like, Dad wants me to make sure you're safe. There's only one way you can be safe. So let's go. 
and we find out it wasn't how much of an athletes both of them are. We learn how much being stuck on a space station. How do you get exercise? Well, you jog the space station. You see them having fun in fun situations. Running, doing a little bit of fencing, going through some Jeffrey's tubes to evade. I'm not sure if it's going to be a octopus or something. A little dancing, walk to a peace treaty, don't get clobbered by the tribbles, and we get to engineering. And we get to see Talar kind of why he questions himself. Is in a previous talk, they somewhere I think in the story they asked if Talar ever finds himself similar to Spock. <coughs> and yes, he has had some inner interactions with Spock. But he is a Vulcan of action. And he's willing to sit there and take things as far as they go. And it took a while to figure out who the crew member in yellow was. We got a crew member in yellow giving us a good story in there. To find out it's Q, who tells Cisco. You need to go to the god city of Takan. And don't let us down. <clears throat> we get through and do a status check. Well, the ship looks good. Engineering safe. The bridge crew survived. Talar is okay. Looks like he's resting. But one of the things in the conversation was the fact that Cisco doesn't always trust his crew. He's kind of pushing and constantly going back and checking, over rechecking what they do. And this time he kind of thinks like, you know what, Data? You take the bridge. I'm going to take a break and get some rest. And that last scene between Cisco and Talir is an interesting one. I like that. I like that strip scene in there. And then we wait and say, uh, next, the City of the Gods. Overall, a book that really just kept me on the edge wondering what was going to happen next. Especially when you know Q's involved. But they're able to work things out with Q. And I like how they kind of dealt with him. And I think this book kept me going to want to see more. What do you think, Eric? Oh, yeah. Uh, I definitely thought this book moved the story along. So you were talking about Talir at the beginning and this kind of theme that reoccurs a couple of times throughout the book of him uh, or of them reaffirming their identity in the mirror in front of them. Um, we definitely, uh, Talir has been identified as gender neutral, uh, they, them pronouns. And I'm interested to see if that plays a part 
in the series at all, particularly because of this first page. I think I remember back in the first uh, issue, too, when Cisco first comes on the Theseus, he's talking to Talir, and Talir says something about how amazing the sonic showers are. And so I love that at the beginning of this issue, Talir deactivates the safety parameters on the sonic showers, presumably to take the most amazing sonic shower, because, uh, right, you'd have to deactivate the, <laughs> the safety features to be able to get that. Um, so I just love that they started with that character and that it's a new character and we're learning just a little bit more. We learned that uh, that Talir has all of these accolades. Um, they're super smart. They got scholarships. Uh, you know, they, I think quantum mechanics or some something like that is their specialty. So super, super cool. Once we hit page two, we hit that different art style, which it, for me was a little jarring simply because it's so different from the first page. Now, I'm not saying that Joe Eisman is not a good artist because he obviously is. Um, he's, uh, he's done a ton of stuff for like the Riverdale comics, and uh, so he's no stranger to you know drawing and getting stuff published, but it just is such a different style from how they started out. But that being said, you still know who you're looking at. You still know who the characters are. I love the interaction with Jake and Talir here around the gumbo because Jake's very clear that this is not Grandpa's gumbo because nobody can actually make Grandpa's gumbo because Grandpa would never tell anybody how to make the gumbo, and so this is Jake's gumbo. <laughs> uh-huh. so I, I thought that was really cool. Um, you you didn't talk about the one two-page spread in the issue, which is, you know, right, right after that moment when we kind of first learned that weird stuff is happening, there's this two-page spread of some of the crew members in a, like an Old West style thing. <laughs> and then, as you were saying, there's all those other scenes, um, you know, with the monsters and all this kind of stuff. And that's how we learn that, that Q is brought into it. Now, I'm going to be the first one to say that when I knew Q was going to be in this issue, I was kind of like, oh, boy. Another Q story. That's all we need. But what I will say is the way that they've used Q in this story is that he's actually scared. Uh, he's actually scared of this weapon. And uh, he, his function here is to be as the, um, what I guess like the wise old sage. He gives ultimately Cisco the information that he needs, which is that you got to go to this other place, the lost city of Takan, to really learn what the heck is going on. So, you know, Cisco wouldn't have known that without Q. But on Q's Elkar's page that kind of gives all of his interactions with the various crews and captains, this is so cool. Something I thought was fascinating. So, of course, we all know that his, his number one entry is going to be with Captain Jean-Luc Picard. He appeared ten times to Jean-Luc in various uh, episodes. And, uh, you know, that we all kind of would guess that. If we were to say who was second, you know, you might you might say Janeway or you might say Cisco. You might not quite remember, but this comic book lists the USS London, Captain Dolan Prem, seven entries, and each one of these has a quote associated with it. This one says the Q entity seemed capable of manipulating space time at will and often referred to himself as alternately omniscient or omnipresent. Yet. His use of these powers was confoundingly unserious. The first time we met, he turned my crew into cats. The fourth, he made a human mariachi band follow me through a delicate diplomatic situation with the Sheliak. The seventh and final time, he just made a lot of fart noises and pouted around my bridge, complaining I wasn't 
paying enough attention to him. (laughs) (laughs) So there's a mystery captain out there, Captain Dolan Prem, who has interacted with Q quite a bit. And I am really hoping that Lower Decks will, you know, grab onto that and maybe show us some of that. I think that would be super cool. Um, we've got Q's entries with Captain Janeway four times, and of course Deep Space Nine just the one time that uh, Cisco punched him in the nose, just like he does in this issue, as Charles was telling us. <laughs> so, yeah, I guess other big kind of concepts that I would say that I like about the story, uh, where it's going, I think that there's a cool, like, friendship developing here between Jake Cisco and Talir, which I really like. Um, mm-hmm. And then there's some mystery around Talir also, because that last page that Charles was talking about uh, has Cisco and Talir. It's not it's not the two of them in one scene, but it is kind of that uh, A and B story back and forth. You get Cisco eating by himself, contemplating, you know, the meaning in the universe or whatever a, a semi-god contemplates. And then interspersed in between, you get Talir returning back to his, back to their quarters. And in fact, when they're looking at themselves in the mirror, to me, uh, there's this one panel that shows Talir's shirt open and almost like there's a thing growing on their chest or something. I don't know. There's some kind of weird thing going on there that I wasn't exactly sure about. So there's some mystery left behind at the end of this issue, too. So overall... I, as I was saying, I like where the story's going. I think there's some cool development of minor characters in this particular issue and the growing friendship between Jake and Talir. And, you know, the introduction of Q was non-offensive and actually moved the story along just a little bit, um, giving Cisco the information he needed to continue the adventure. So, yeah. What do you think about this issue, Jim? Well, not what you guys did, but that's okay. Um, I'm sick of Q. I really, I I wouldn't care if we never see Q ever again. Um, uh, I like him. I think he's great, but I just don't want to see him anymore. Really, I mean, we had the whole Q uh, issues that we read where he assembled with all the other. Anyway, anyway I'm I don't want to see any more of Q. Although it was funny when, when, when Cisco punched him. That was, you know, I like that. Um, but I, I'm not really, I'm not really, I'm not really feeling this story so far. Oh. So, I mean, I don't, I don't, I'm not really digging it uh, yet. Um, maybe with the next issue, I'll, I'll get a little bit more into it. But honestly, I've been reading a um, Star Trek um, echoes the motion picture book, uh, which hopefully we'll talk about at some point. But I'm not really, I'm not really feeling this one. This is like one that I'm just not interested in at all. It's just not grabbing me. I'm. I wish it did, but um, but it's just not. It's not floating my boat, unfortunately. But that's okay. We don't all like everything, right? That's right. Yep. All right. Well, so who's going uh, to take the next issue? Yeah, I'll, I'll intro the next one. So let's move on to issue number four, or as I like to call it, uh, the big reveal. <laughs> um, so uh, here at the beginning of issue number four, 
we have the same team that worked on issue number three. And we are reminded because of knowing that we have to go to the lost city of Takan, we're reminded about what we know about the Takan Empire. And you might remember uh, or might not that the Takan Empire is one that's been brought up in Star Trek before. It existed over 600,000 years ago and covered nine sectors of the Milky Way galaxy with a population of trillions and trillions of people. Um, it was considered first among empires, and they basically rule like most of the galaxy. And so it's kind of interesting that this story is taking us back to a, um, a canon source that we've only touched on. Uh, what did they talk about? They talked about uh, Takan a little bit in TNG in the last outpost, and then they touched on it in Discovery in Terra Firma uh, Parts 1 and 2. There's been kind of like some beta stuff out there about Takan as well. So I like that they're bringing that into here. And as we as we get on page one, our L-cars display that reminds us about the Takan Empire, the transition on page three is Cisco reviewing the same information. So I think that's kind of a cool thing. It's like, oh, yeah, he's reading the same thing I'm reading. And this is the issue where what Charles was talking about in terms of uh, the little sidebar giving us a clue as to who's talking really kicks in. Here you got Benjamin Sisko, command, dressed in red. So he's got a little red thing next to his. And his, um, his focus at the start of this issue is how do I relate to my son when I have become a god? How can I possibly ask him a question when I kind of already know what the answer is going to be? And I think that's a cool, like, philosophical place for Cisco to, to start because, you know, he was brought back by the prophets, and yeah, he's got a job to do, but he also was a human. And so he's got this kind of, like, connection that he has to, to make to the other humans around him, or he, he would like to make. Um, turn the page. You get a really fun kind of engineering conversation between Talir and Lily. Lily, turns out, uh, isn't just about communications. Uh, she thinks about other things, like the fact that particles, yes, even particles of sunlight, or in this case, what, like chroniton, something, something particles, all particles have some kind of mass. And it is that revelation that leads to Lear to kind of a new discovery of what they're, they're looking for, which I think is fun. It shows that kind of teamwork thing. Um, then the story sort of moves on uh, once again to them saying, hey, we found something. Guess what we were able to do with this revelation that we came up with? We were actually able to map subspace, to like understand sub subspace in a different way such that we're able to kind of locate these godlike creatures and go to where they are, um, which I think is really fun. And to me, this issue has one of my favorite moments in the series so far, which is Data kind of does the typical Data thing. You know, Cisco's like, hey, listen, y'all, we got to go to the lost city of Takan. Let's go. And Data's like, Captain, uh, that sounds very dangerous. We probably shouldn't do it. Uh, maybe we should ask Starfleet what to do. And they show one panel where Cisco's just staring, and then in the next panel he just says, ha! <laughs> and he says, Mr. Data, it's charming that you think I'd be swayed by risk or that I'd wait on saving the galaxy to ask for permission. This is why so many of us love Benjamin Cisco because we all know that he would just go do it, right? He wouldn't ask for permission <laughs> or think about it too hard. So love that interaction between him and Data. I thought that was really clever. Um, they get underway. 
the Theseus goes, it goes to the place where the god energy or whatever on the scanners is, and what do they find? They find the lost city of Dakan, which at this point looks like a star-sized star base, kind of, with these kind of like tentacle things on it. It's very interesting because the one thing that we learned about uh, that empire was that they arranged their planets. So they tended to go into a solar system and put the planets in the arrangement that they wanted. And so they had the technology to be able to literally move planets around. And when we get to this new alien energy that, we're, that we've been scanning, the thing that we find is like way bigger than a planet. Um, and as Beverly continues to scan it and provide her unique skills, we learn, gosh, this thing's actually alive. Um, and actually, we can go inside of it. We can fly inside of it and explore inside of it, which was very reminiscent to me of that Picard finale where we get the, the Enterprise D flying through the Borg cube. Uh, <laughs> just kind of, you know, since we just saw that. But the fact that this giant thing that moves planets around is actually a living entity. I thought that was super cool. But of course, guess what? The bad guys show up, and it turns out that the thing that has been killing the crystalline entities and has been threatening entities like Q is nothing more than a Klingon bird of prey loaded with a really nasty weapon made by the Sarkadesh people. And guess who's at the helm? It is Kaelas Two. And uh, we are reminded at that point that Worf had some misgivings about Kalos coming in and, you know, being the one who was going to, I guess, reunite the Empire. Remember, there was that whole thing about, okay, we've got to get Kalos and because it's the only way to keep the Empire together. And then as he kind of came in, he oh, learned that he there. wasn't exactly the same Kalos. So, Rightful so, error. Rightful error. Yeah, that episode. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, we're definitely reminded of that, and then there's kind of a, a a space chase where the Theseus is saying, oh my gosh, we're going to chase him, we're going to go after him, and uh, we're left at the end of this issue with essentially Kaelas on the bird of prey with the god weapon pointing it at the alien that we're chilling out with, and the Theseus is trying to stop them. So I personally found this issue to be pretty exciting. Uh, there was a lot of action in it. Uh, there was some cool like reveals that that Kalos was actually I mean you kind of suspected maybe something was up with Kalos but the fact that Kalos is actually the one who's out there killing gods kind of makes sense because right Klingons killed all their gods and they actually talk about that in a little bit more in the new um what is it called Rain in Blood Rain of Blood something comic that came out on Free Comic Book Day as well so I think we're getting like this resurgence oh, the of yeah, yeah. So we're getting this like resurgence, a reminder that in Klingon culture, one of their things was Klingons are masters of themselves because they killed their own gods. And uh, Kalos is kind of continuing that tradition here with his god-killing weapon. So I don't know. I like this issue. I thought it was pretty cool. What? Uh, so that's my that's my opinion. What do you think, Charles? Uh, once again, you got Kalis talking in Klingon and having to have it translated. And I thought it interesting that, especially in the early, early ones, Lily has always looked 
just kind of plain. I think she got a little more attention this time and got a little bit of youthfulness in her. We kind of get reminded she's young, but very energetic and very willing to learn and think things out. I enjoy the interaction between our Andorian and our Vulcan. Interesting stories, interesting kind of story through this one, but definitely the point of we realize this, we realize this place is alive, that actually is uh, some kind of deep creature. And that the Klingons want, the Klingons, this group of Klingons want to destroy it. They don't want them to be, them to be alive. Well, and we get a clue and that there's some consternation between the emperor and the council too, right? Like I think Kalos yeah. is a little bit out on his own here, and he is not necessarily agreeing with what the with the decisions that the council is making. I think they kind of give the point that Kalos is a little rogue. Yeah. He kind of does what he wants to do and doesn't always want to go to it, even though he wants Cisco to go through the council. He really doesn't want to deal with these kind of issues, but he has his own agenda. Which and is why that page... Really I was just to say, which is why that page with Worf's consternation about Kalos becoming the, the emperor again, I think was really cool, because it's sort of brings you back to that episode, right? And that time when that happened, and it makes you realize, oh, this is just an outgrowth of a story that we've already seen, which I think is cool. Well, I like because not only do they kind of bring characters back from different shows, but they kind of tie in different things, tie in different elements from many of the different series into this one. Yeah, for sure. Like the idea of Scotty being a miracle worker. We get a definite reference to that. And overall, this is still keeping me going where I read this one today, and it's like, okay, I've gotten two, three, and four read. But I don't want to finish. Like, okay, let's start with five. Let's start with six. It's like, keep going. And just to remind our fans, it's not until... Five where it's referenced, six where it's mentioned, of where Star Trek Defiant starts. It occurs in issue five, it's not referenced until six, and six is where they admit the issue is released. And this story splits off. And I think Free Comic Book Day is going to show us that they're either going to merge together or really split off. But we're going to see some interesting interesting occurrences going on with this. This is just the beginning of letting us know what's really going on. And those of you that miss Free Comic Book Day, it is available on Comic-Con slash Amazon. You can get it digitally. But it is just a simple teaser 
and may not make sense until you've gotten further into, but as you start reading those theories and start realizing something big is coming, and you're like, oh, that's why Free Comic Book Day hit was that, that big thing is coming. And so July is going to get very interesting. How about you, Jim? Well, I like who KLS's first officer was revealed to be. I found that interesting. And uh, I liked how Worf said, you know, we're not going to be the first to fire. And he uses the old Deep Space Nine Thoron Shadows uh, technique to uh, make KLS think that they were more heavily armed than they were, so that KLS decided that. Uh, he wasn't going to fight, and he turns around and leaves. Uh, you know, he used the old Klingon guile, which I really like. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I yeah, I, I don't want to, yeah, that was it. <laughs> that's, that's what I like. Like I cool. said, I'm not, I'm, I'm not, I, I don't want to, I want to sit here and badmouth stuff, but that's what I like. I enjoyed that immensely. The artwork was pretty cool, too. Um like I said, I like I like the way they drew Worf in this one. Well, as Charles was so. saying, I think this is a you know overall like pretty strong entry. We've got six issues that are out right now. We've now reviewed up to four, as Charles was saying. Uh, Star oh, Trek Defiant. Yep. Uh, we're up to eight issues of Star Trek. Oh, and eight. Three of Defiant. Yep. Yep. Sorry, eight is what I meant, not six. And uh, and then Star Trek Define, of course, is tying into that. And so the this is the new kind of flagship title, I think, for IDW Star Trek comics. Um, so we'll see where it goes. Uh, so far, so good. So that is pretty much it for our comic corner, I think, this week, guys. Right? You know what? You know what time it is now? Oh, I sure do. It is time for. That was not a Klingon song. It's time for Star Trek birthdays, and we usually start off our birthdays with remembering those members of our Star Trek family who, sadly enough, are no longer with us. And for that, we turn to Eric. And Eric and Charles are going to have to do all of the birthdays tonight, unfortunately, because I don't have access to them. And Paul and David aren't with us. So Eric and Charles are going to have to carry the whole brunt of the rest of the show. So take it away, guys. Not a problem. We could do this, Jim, and we still got one for you. Our very first remembrance. Remember, we always start out with our remembrances, which are the people who have gone before us uh, who would have been celebrating a birthday this week. And our very first remembrance goes out to Sebastian Tom, who was the actor who portrayed the Samurai Warrior in the TOS first season episode, Shore Leave. I know you remember which character I'm talking about. Uh, uh, Sebastian Tom was always into many things. Uh, He did some acting here and there, but really his main love in life was working at his family's restaurant, which was the New Moon Restaurant in downtown Los Angeles, which still exists. You can go to 102 West 9th Street right there uh, in L.A. and go to the place where Sebastian Tom 
once worked. He also served as chief counsel to Congressman Gus Hawkins for a number of years. And uh, as we said, just had a couple of acting credits here and there on The Many Loves of Dobie Gillis, The Wild Wild West, and on the series Kung Fu from back in the day. So Sebastian Tom would have had a birthday this week, 20th of May. Happy birthday, Sebastian. Happy birthday as well to Stephanie Nisnik, uh, an actress we lost way too early at the age of 52 years old back in 2019. She, of course, played the Trill Kel Parham, a con officer on the Enterprise E in Star Trek Insurrection. And uh, she also played the humanoid, humanoid form of a wraith in the Star Trek Enterprise first season episode, Rogue Planet, which aired back in 2002. Um, she made her film debut at the age of 27 years old in the movie Exit to Eden, and her first major role was that of Agent Judith Phillips in the action television series Vanishing Sun. Um, did lots of guest appearances here and there on television, uh, but her biggest thing was from 2001 to 2006, she portrayed uh, a major cast member on the series Everwood. Um, the uh, the divorced mother, Nina Feeney. And uh, later on in life, she definitely worked for a lot of charitable organizations, uh, always trying to help hungry children and animal rescues. So Stephanie Nisnik would have had a birthday this week. Happy birthday and lots of love and remembrances going out to Stephanie. Happy birthday as well to Jim Goodwin, an actor who portrayed Lieutenant Jim Farrell in the TOS uh, first season episodes, Mud's Women, The Enemy Within, and Miri. Uh, Jim Goodwin was a personal friend of Star Trek associate producer, story editor, John D.F. Black, who actually got him the role on the show. And originally, uh, Goodwin, and therefore the character of Farrell, was supposed to actually appear in more episodes, but was written out of both The Naked Time and Charlie X. Um, Goodwin's career encompassed a very small body of work, but it happened over three decades from 1979, appearing uh, just here and there on a few television programs and had a couple of TV movies under his belt as well. So Jim Goodwin would have had a birthday on May 21st. Happy birthday and lots of love and remembrances going out to Jim. Happy birthday as well to Richard Libertini, who is the actor who played the Bajoran Aquarum Lan in Deep Space Nine's fourth season episode, Ascension. Uh, Richard uh, was a very accomplished actor. Uh, he graduated from Emerson College in Boston, uh, after which he moved to New York, and he started immediately creating stuff. Uh, he created an off-Broadway review called Stewed Prunes that got quite a bit of press, and this was... This is back in the coffeehouse revolution in the 60s, like Bob Dylan was playing just around the corner. Um, so he was right there at that time. Uh, he did a number of years of stage work, then eventually got into movies, playing in Woody Allen's Don't Drink the Water and Paul Sills' Story Theater, uh, and then eventually started doing some television here and there. Three of his most memorable characters, however, are the dictator in The In-Laws from 1979 with Alan Arkin, uh, the Tibetan mystic in All of Me, uh, which was a 1984 Steve Martin movie, uh, which also, of course, had the wonderful and amazing Lily Tomlin, and then the Justice of the Peace in Best Friends, which, of course, starred Goldie Hawn and Burt Reynolds. Uh, he was also in Fletch and Popeye and a couple of other movies, and his very last appearance was in a movie directed by none other than Roxanne Dawson, uh, entitled Aquarius. So I think that's pretty cool. So Richard Libertini 
would have had a birthday this week. Happy birthday and lots of love and remembrances going out to Richard. Also this week, Booker T. Bradshaw is being remembered. Booker T. Bradshaw was the original Dr. Joseph Mbenga from TOS's third season episodes, A Private Little War, and That Which Survives, back before Bones was established and they were experimenting with doctors. He was our very first African-born doctor on the Enterprise, which I think is just super cool. Um, he, in the early 60s, uh, Bradshaw was actually given a full scholarship to study at the Royal Academy in London. So this man had some serious talent. Uh, he later went on to do, of course, a ton of guest television appearances, as many of these actors did. Uh, and after appearing in a handful of films, including 1973's black exploitation classic Coffee, he went on to become an accomplished television writer. Uh, he wrote for series such as Planet of the Apes and Different Strokes. And he actually wrote a Columbo episode back in the day as well. So Booker T. Washington, uh, not just an actor, but lots and lots of talent oozing out of his pores. He would have had a birthday May 21st as well. We lost him back in 2003. Happy birthday and lots of love going out to Booker T. Bradshaw. Happy birthday as well to David Hillary Hughes. He was the American actor with only four credited television uh, appearances. He portrayed Trefane in TOS's first season episode, Errand of Mercy. Uh, but his other credits are pretty good. He was in 1940's Grapes of Wrath. He was in also 1940's The Long Voyage Home. And he was in 1956's Science Fiction Theater. Had a handful of uncredited appearances as well, but chose to spend his time on other things than acting. So, David Hillary Hughes, we were lucky to have you for a moment in Star Trek. Thank you so much for your contributions and lots of love and remembrances going out to you. We're, saying, uh, we're sending out lots of love and remembering this week as well, Sarah Marshall. She was the actress who portrayed Dr. Janet Wallace in TOS's second season episode, The Deadly Years. She's the only daughter of British film and theater legendary stars Herbert Marshall and Edna Best. Uh, made lots and lots of television guest appearances in the 50s and 60s, never appearing in more than one to three episodes here and there, but really became known for playing Agnes Stewart in that wonderful movie uh, from 1958, The Long Hot Summer. She was nominated for Broadway's 1960 Tony Award as Best Supporting or Featured Actress for Goodbye, Charlie. Uh, and uh, then, you know, had a very active career for 41 years and then took a 13-year career break, finally uh, wrapping up her career in 2012's Bad Blood, playing the pivotal role of Mrs. Weston. Sarah Marshall uh, unfortunately lost after a year-and-a-half-long battle with stomach cancer back in 2014. We do miss you, Sarah. Great, uh, great character in Dr. Janet Wallace. Thank you so much for your Star Trek contributions. And uh, my final remembrance this week goes out to Paul Winfield. Uh, Paul Winfield, I know you know who he is. He's the guy who played Clark Terrell, the guy who gets the nasty thing in his ear in Star Trek II, The Wrath of God. Oh, I felt so bad for him. He is also the guy, uh, maybe you don't know this, who played Captain Dathan in TNG's fifth season episode, Darmok. Now you know who I'm talking about, right? Paul Winfield appeared in roughly 125 films and television shows over the course of his career. He was an Academy Award-nominated actor, uh, Academy Award-nominated portrayal uh, for his portrayal of a Depression-era Louisiana sharecropper in the 1973 film Sounder. He also won an Emmy 
for playing Dr. Martin Luther King in 1978's miniseries, King. Uh, man, he's all over the place. Uh, he, won, or he received a second Emmy nomination for his role as Dr. Horace Hewley in the acclaimed miniseries Roots, The Next Generations, and was in a whole bunch of cool movies for anything from Terminator to Mars Attacks. Um, he was on an episode of Babylon 5 back in the day. And he actually lent his voice to many series uh, along the way, including The Simpsons, a couple of the Batman animated series, uh, and some other things. Uh, He kind of ended his career from 1995 to 2003 playing a recurring role as the senior supervising Angel Sam on CBS's drama series Touched by an Angel, uh, appearing in 13 episodes of that series. And uh, he would just die in 2004 uh, just after that series completed. So happy birthday and lots of love and remembrances going out to Paul Winfield. And that does it for our Star Trek remembrances, but we have one and beyond uh, remembrance this week that I think Jim is going to handle. And Jim, uh, do you want to talk about Apollo a little bit here? Yeah, I, I, I wanted to throw this one in for a couple of reasons. First, the, the, the biggest one is, of course, um, I'm a huge fan of Battlestar Galactica, and Richard Hatch, of course, played Captain Apollo. I'm talking the original Battlestar Galactica with Lauren Green, mm-hmm. and uh, I, I, I grew up watching that, and I loved it. But uh, that's not the reason why I really wanted to mention him specifically, is because if you go back in the archives, and I mean as far back in the Trek Talking archives as you can possibly go, like single-digit episode numbers is how far back we're going. Uh, Richard Hatch was the first celebrity I ever interviewed on this podcast, and I interviewed him because he played the Klingon Commander Karn in the, um, uh, what was it, Axanar? Prelude to Axanar. And when that that dropped, um, I was able to talk to him on the podcast, which was so special for me to talk to an idol such as Richard Hatch. He was a charming man. He was wonderful. There was a slight mix-up, though, in the time zone differences. And uh, so uh, he, I ended up talking to him uh, until 1.30 in the morning because we misunderstood what we meant by the different times. So he came on at 9.30, my time, and so I had to stay up till 1.30 talking to him, which was well worth it. But you can go back in the archives, way back to like, oh, I don't know, episode oh, 10, maybe? And you can find that interview with Richard Hatch. It was a lot of fun. He was great, and we all miss him. So happy birthday to Richard Hatch. And with that, I don't remember any of the other birthdays. Like I said, I I can't see them, so I'm going to have to count on Charles. Hey, Charles. Okay. Uh, I'm not going to mention a lot of the actors because, as Quinn mentioned, I start calling them day actors. They come in for one episode. So they've got a lot of shows, which they only show up once. Cotton Towers from Whitefish, Montana, who played the role of Texco in the Star Trek Deep Space Nine first season episode, The Forsaken. 
Happy birthday to Mary Ann McGarry, who played Tiberius in Star Trek Voyager's fourth season episode, Living Witness. Happy birthday to John A. Billingsley, known Star Trek fans for playing Dr. Plox, the the Nubian chief medical officer in the Enterprise NX-01 on Star Trek Enterprise. And trivia, frequently played characters of scientific methods such as doctors or professors. He's got that kind of face. Yeah. Seth Morris, actor, comedian, writer who played the illusion in Star Trek's Lower Deck third season episode, Crisis, Crisis Point 2 Paradox. Happy birthday to Noah Tishby, who played Colonel... Corporal Amanda Cole and Stryker Enterprise's third season episode, Hairbringer. Happy birthday to Hal Landon Jr., who played Praetor Neural in Star Trek's Deep Space Nine episode, seventh season episode, Inner Arma Emin. <laughs> we stuck you Go with ahead, some Eric. Latin there. <laughs> some Latin. Yeah. Inter arma enim silent legis. <laughs> I don't speak Latin very well. Me neither. <laughs> and one thing he's also well known for, he was Captain Flash T- Chief Logan in Benton, the Bill and Ted movies. Excellent. He appeared in all three. One of four actors who actually appeared in all four, all three, four, four actors who played in all three movies. Happy birthday to Alex Entoloff, who played Doctor Nicholas, Doctor Nicholas, in Star Trek IV's Voyage Home. Remember, he was a scientist, which Scotty was talking to his computer which he had one very memorable episode in MASH as a character, as a soldier who tried to play many roles because he couldn't decide who he wanted to be. Uh, did several roles of Barney Miller, Quincy, and Night Court. Tim Robinson, actor, comedian, and writer who voiced Ensign Fletcher and a corrupt isolinear core in Star Trek's Lower Deck episode Terminal Provocation (laughs) was part of the Saturday Night Live crew in 2012-2013. He's amazing. Susan, happy birthday to Susan Dio, who played Carmen DeVia in Star Trek's Next Generation 5th season episode Silicon Aviator. And later, Darna Pell in Star Trek Voyager's second season episode, Life Signs and Resolution. Also appeared in a couple episodes of Night Court and in a string of episodes in Days of Our Lives. Happy birthday to Jeremy Crindon, Canadian actor who played Lord Elling in Star Trek Discovery's first season episode, Vaulting Admission, and What's Past is Prologue. Eric, who's on Paul's list? 
Happy birthday as well to actress Jennifer Nash, who played Maribor in TNG's fifth season episode, The Inner Light, one of those very special episodes. Thank you, Jennifer, for your contributions there. Happy birthday as well to actor Matt McCoy, who, who portrayed Devani Rall in TNG's third season episode, The Price. Gina Rivara has a birthday this week as well. Happy birthday to you. You played the role of Tyler in Star Trek uh, Next Generation 7th season episode, Phantasms. Happy birthday as well to Shirley Bond, appearing as Ruth in TOS's first season episode, Shore Leave. Joan Collins, that's right, the Joan Collins, English actress who played Edith Keeler in TOS's first season episode, City on the Edge of Forever. Thank goodness Joan Collins is in the Star Trek franchise. What a talent. And, man, she's, she's been around a long time, guys. I'm so happy to know that she's still with yeah. us. Happy birthday, Joan. Happy birthday as well to Ben Lemon, who played Jev in TNG's fifth season episode, Violations. Anne Cusack, an actress and singer, played Maggie in Star Trek Enterprise's second season episode, Carbon Creek, one of those ones that I know Jim loves quite a bit. Anne Cusack, very talented actress. Also, happy birthday this week to Yadira Helena Guevara Pripp, who portrayed Mihani Ikahali Kapo in Short Tracks episode, Runway. That's right, she was Poe. She was also in that second season Discovery episode, Such Sweet Sorrow and Such Sweet Sorrow Part 2. And Paul's final birthday this week is saying hello and sending out birthday greetings to H. John Benjamin, who appeared as uh, the idiot Edward, Edward Larkin, <laughs> in, the, in the Short Treks episode, The Trouble with Edward Charles what would Jim have read for us had he his notes with us today? <laughs> well, let's start off. A happy birthday to Donna Marie Rico, who played the female version of Dion in Star Trek Enterprise's first season episode, Two Days and Two Nights. Anthony Zerbe, Emmy Award-winning actor who played the Admir Admiral Daltrey in Star Trek's Insurrection. Evil Admiral. Evil Admiral. <laughs> evil, evil, evil. So evil. <laughs> A happy birthday to Jill, Jill Jacobson, who played Vanessa in Star Trek's Next Generation Sex Season episode, The Royale. Well, you've had a lot of Royale I got to tell birthdays. you guys, I, I got to tell you a story about her, which, which I probably told before, but I'm going to tell it again. Darren and I went out to California to visit a friend who got a job writing for Star Trek. And while we were out there, we went to this uh, burger point uh, place called Fuddruckers. And we were ordering our burgers, and she walked in. And I looked over to Karen, and I said, hey, that's the lady that blew Data's dice in the Royale episode. Let's go over <laughs> and talk to her. And so, uh, you know, we just kind of went over and chatted with her. And, she was amazed that we remembered her from just parents in that one episode. And she was totally thrilled that we recognized her. And we just <laughs> said, yeah, we, you know, said hello and blah, blah, blah. Just a little bit of chit chat. And we sat down and ate our burgers, but I met her. I, I couldn't believe she walked into the same restaurant we were in. So that was pretty cool. That's cool. Yeah. That's so very cool. Wow. What a great story. 
Yeah. yeah. It's a true Jane story. <laughs> yeah. Jane Wheedlin, musician from the Go-Go's, an actress who played Trillia in Star Trek for The Voyage Home. David Ajala, English actor who played Cleveland Book Booker in the third and fourth and fifth seasons of Star Trek Discovery. Want to say something about David? I got to tell you, if you get a chance to meet David, by all means, do. You will not be disappointed. He's a very open, compassionate, and super friendly guy. Happy birthday to David Ajala. And the last and birthday I think on the Jim, list. Yeah, I think Jim wants that last one. <laughs> I, I, remember, I remember that one, though. Uh, the last one on the list is the awesome, incredible Doug Jones, who's been in so many awesome movies and so many great parts. But we're going to say happy birthday to Doug Jones for playing Mr. Saru, our local lovable Kelpian. And having met him over the weekend at Trek Long Island, I felt like I met Mr. Saru because he's so, um, he's so, what's, what's the word I'm looking for? Personable. Um, sincere. Sincere. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. he's, a, he's very sincere. He's got the same warm eyes that Saru has, and, and he loves to hug. He'll give you a big hug. When's the last time you got hugged by a Star Trek actor at a convention? Most of the time, there's really? a piece of plexiglass between you and them. Yeah, days. this guy is but, just phenomenal, phenomenal. And happy birthday but to Doug Jones. I've heard the same um, stories, Jim. But I've heard the same stories from podcasts of people talking about just walking up to him. He's like, "Oh, I got to give you a hug." It's like it's such a personal person, and he's so sincere. He's not fake about mm-hmm. it. Um, he's just that kind of guy. And we're lucky, lucky, lucky to have him in our Star Trek family. And I think, guys, that wraps up our show, doesn't it? It sure Please. does. It's hard to hard to think that another one has gone by, but it sure has. And I just want to say thank you to you guys for uh, picking up the torch and carrying it in, these, in this very difficult time. I think the show went off pretty well with the little technical difficulties yeah. that we had. Um, so thank you so much to you, Eric, for picking up the torch and carrying it tonight. Thank you. Absolutely. I had a great time as always, guys. Thanks. And thank you so much to you as well. <laughs> I'm sorry. Charles, for picking up that same torch and carrying it for me as well. Thank you. Oh, you're very welcome. I've These are some comics I've been looking forward to talking about. And I recommend and you know, the fans to go uh, looking for them. Go looking for him and read him. It's a good series. I know Jim's not as crazy about them. But I think he's going to like it when the Klingons really start getting fierce. Well, I got to say, I, I really wish that you guys could have been at Trek Long Island so you could have felt the love and appreciation that I did for doing this podcast. It's so It makes it so worthwhile and so special when you can get that feedback from the fans about what we do here. And I I wish you guys could have experienced that like I did. So I'm going to try to, you know, help you guys feel that as well. Um, What else? Yeah, that wraps up the show, guys. Uh, Next week, we're going to be talking to Laura Banks, so you don't want to miss that one. 
head over to our Facebook page, give us a like, give us a follow. We'd really, really appreciate it. And as usual, I'm your most excellent host, Uncle Jim, saying Star Trek fans are the best fans, and I learned that again this weekend at Trek Long Island. Please, everybody, stay safe and be good to each other. Hailing frequencies are closed. Good night, everybody. Live long and prosper. Let's see what's out there. Engage. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.